Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. Today we're taking a look at the concept of fear and how fear uh, acts in our everyday lives. This recording will be with a live audience and we will get reflections, inputs and experiences from real people to uh, talk about fear and how fear is interactive within their lives, how they've overcome it and, you know, audience perspective on fear in terms of death and fear in our everyday lives, really. As always, my comments and insights will be based on my own work with myself, my own experiences, uh, insights through meditation and so forth, but also experiences I've drawn from my own clients, coaching people on uh, reaching their highest potential and becoming the best versions of themselves. If you're interested in working with me as a coach or perhaps interested in joining our weekly meditation sessions, group uh, group meditations that we do, you can always visit us at uh, thealchemyexperience.co.uk where you will find all information about our coaching, meditations, etc. We hope you all enjoy this podcast and please let us know any feedback you might have any uh, guests you would like to hear, any topics you'd like to be uh, have covered, we're all ears. Okay, so as last time, on the previous times, uh, I would like to start with a quote. Today we're going to talk about fear, fear in our lives. And there is only one thing that makes a dream impossible to achieve, and that's the fear of failure. Fear in our lives, tend to impair ourselves from achieving greatness really what makes us as miserable as we can be when i think about fear i've limited it to two categories of fear we have existential fear and notional fear oh existential fear is the actual fear of death fear of physical harm that will then lead to death And then we have notional fear, which is the fear of death of self, death of your identity or something. But that eventually would then lead to the death of the physical self as well. Because, you know, in the olden days, if you were pushed out from the tribe and you kind of had to survive on your own, your your ability to survive would be diminished quite greatly. Uh, same as being, you know, fear of uh, losing your job means fear of not having money and thus fear of not being able to eat. If you can't eat, you die. So it all kind of leads back to the same, <laughs> the same, same uh, end goal uh, or end result, which is, you know, death of the fiscal self. So from my point of view, well, let's just back up a little bit. When, when we look at when we're born, we actually fearless. They've done tests with babies, you know, crawl, babies that can crawl, and they have these like glass sheets, and like they're six feet off the off the ground. These babies quite happily crawl over the edges, like it's they don't they don't have the concept of uh, life and death in that respect, and that's why evolution has 
created uh, uh, primitive reflexes for us. So when we're born, we have the moral reflex, for example, you have the uh, rooting reflex, palmer reflex, ATNR, bunch of different reflexes that helps us survive as infants. And these reflexes are then, are then supposed to disappear as your uh, neural pathways are developed and evolved and matured. Now, this will be for another podcast as well, but there, there are new studies they're looking into what happens if those uh, primitive reflexes are retained, which a lot of them uh, lead back to uh, ADHD, uh, autism, uh, ASC, which is autism spectrum condition, and stuff like that. And we'll dedicate the whole separate episode to, uh, to that. But so from that point of view, I think it's interesting that as babies, we don't have any fear at all. So what is it that happens that develops this fear? I'm going to throw it out there and uh, let's just talk about the very basic concept of fear in our lives. I mean, I jokingly, a lot of times I say, when you are born, that's when you start dying or you start living. And why have fear of death? Because the most dangerous thing you can do is to be born in that respect. So once you're born, you're in it. And really, there's no point in being afraid of death, to me. Whether you're an atheist, uh, agnostic, or uh, you believe in you know, reincarnation, whatever you believe in or don't believe in, you know, the, death is a shift into something else, whether it being not, nothingness, paradise, or <laughs> another lifetime, whatever it is, it's just the change, right? So I'll throw that out. Anyone yeah. want to chime in, Carol? I, yeah, I don't mind going first if you, if you don't mind that. So I agree with you. Like, regardless of your, you know, faith and regardless of your religion, I think, first, first thing, I, I think we should be lucky. They are not my words. I think it was the Richard Dawkins who said that, that, you know, I think we should be very lucky in the first place that we can die. Because, you know, we are alive. We are alive at the moment. You know, we can enjoy our lives and we've got the choice. So as long as we breathe, we can make our life the way we want it to be. You know, we've got, we control our actions, we can control our um, thoughts and words. And as long as we breathe, we are super, super lucky. Um, so, yeah. And we know what is, you know, after death. So why to fear it? And of course, it's easy to say than done. But, um, but coming back to the concept of fear, uh, and again, it might be, it's just kind of the way uh, or the stage that I'm at at the moment, but I feel quite lucky to have fear. And I, I, I feel that fear is something that it's embedded within human nature and it's part of my nature. So rather than me trying to push it away, the, I, I try to use fear as um guide so you know how you define failure do you define the failure in terms of like through the social lenses so if i'm gonna do that if i'm gonna do that then society is gonna judge me or am i um i've got different description of uh, or, or definition of failure so for example if i'm not gonna do something that is according to my standards then i'm gonna be judgmental towards myself or you know am i kind of screw up something mm -hmm. so i you know to, to me 
to me, fear is one of those emotions. And same as, you know, you might say that love and compassion and, and um, joy, those are the basic, basic emotions that they exist, but they are not positive or negative. You know, emotions just are. It's just the pattern of energy, whether it comes from, you know, however, whatever uh, system of belief do you, you follow, whether this is just a pattern of neuronal activity and chemical and electrical activity in your brain, and whether there is a, an energy going through your body, wherever you believe, emotions are just the patterns of the energy. So, and a fear, in essence, is the same. So, why judge it? Why judge whether it's good or bad? It's the communication. It's, it wants to communicate to something. So, I'm, and I actually, I, I, I got to the point, I think, with my meditative practice, that I was going through the moment, a period of my life, that I was going through the meditation uh, as a kind of, just going through the movement rather than being aware and being in the moment. And I got to the point that I feel, you know, again, it's very subjective and it might be completely nonsense for everyone else. <laughs> but to me, it's like, I fear the moment that I don't have fear. This is the, this is the good indication that if I feel fearless, it's the indication that there's something wrong with me. Okay. I love fear. That's interesting. That's the kind of conclusion. Well, that's so, uh, suddenly throwing a, an interesting twist to it. Anybody else want to chime in on that? It's important uh, to Hi, Christopher. Yeah, so go ahead. Yeah, so my name is Millie. Mylis is my daughter that's, um, sorry for clarification. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when we talk about fear, there are two, two things that, that come to me. Uh, the first is, um, as Carol uh, said earlier, um, fear of um, disapprovement, failures, I think this is all very, very strong. Um, um, I'm not talking about the fear of death. You, 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 you covered that really well, but um, the fear of being rejected or being a failure means that your group will, um, uh, you know, reject you. And it's, this is also, that refers um, to our survivals, mm -hmm. um, ancient, skill so exactly. it's um and then it's maintained and reiterated um constantly in our society in in various ways um and so i think that um that very persistent um um perception of duality that we we need the exterior to help us succeed or being our fullest version is is wrong and it it, it requires an incredible, sometimes, effort uh, to, to get past that. Of uh, but there is also this other fear, and it, I think it's the fear of our own light mm -hmm. that brings, uh, that may um, translate into self-sabotaging, uh, diminishing ourselves, uh, surrounding ourselves uh, with people who some sort of on the same frequency so you never go past that and you sort of create a comfort zone around being a smaller version of yourself you're talking um, about the fear of greatness yes and uh, and i think this is also very very important um 
to work on and to uh, at least bring to our awareness. So to make sure when we get into those patterns, to have something in our hand to say, okay, cancel, cancel, cancel. You can do it. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think that's, um, that's what I had to say. Uh, just, <laughs> and, and I think I think the, the best I think not the best and who I am to say what what to do but um, I have that feeling that if we really try to get into a dialogue with our heart um, really like what is inside us and ask questions and try to follow that little voice this is probably the surest way to navigate and 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 progress probably. Well, I agree with that. I think the uh, the big challenge for most people is to hear that little voice because they can't oftentimes can't hear it because of all the fear that exists in their uh, in their lives. And um, the challenge uh, I see going back to what Carol was saying was if you don't fear anything, that's a scary place to be because then what has happened to your fear where did it go and i think it's fear is always healthy to have but it's the attachment to fear that humanity as a whole experiences that we need to get let go of and just understand you know i have fear of public speaking i know i have that fear but i've, I've dropped the attachment to it and I've done that by hosting uh, guided meditations every week, uh, publicly on Zoom, doing this podcast, things like that. It allows you to progress and evolve when you uh, allow yourself to drop the attachment to the fear. But yes, uh, the fear will always be there. But now it's something that you recognize uh, more on a logical or intellectual uh, basis rather than something that is in your body. Does that make sense? Anybody else have any uh, points to kind of bring in on the just the basic idea of notional and ex existential fears? Absolutely. I'd, I'd like to also bring in the neurological part of it too because I think a lot of people end up having phobias and other issues because fear, anxiety, and excitement are all intertwined in the neurological body. So a lot of times it's very difficult. Like, for example, I know for myself, when I go on stage and I perform singing, I have a really big, powerful voice. But what I find is that it's almost that fear, excitement, energy, and then vibing off of the audience that literally my notes are higher. My, my ability to be able to really connect in that sense it's like I'm literally hearing my voice as an instrument in a way I've never heard it before because it takes that synergy of all that fear and all that excitement and those you know, pieces before you get on stage. And I really like what you were talking about with fearlessness because I believe that there've been so many times in my life where I was fearless and like I was reflecting on the fact that when I was eight years old, I played Nancy in Oliver Twist and I'm singing Oom Pa Pa as an eight-year-old in a school play, which is, you know, kind of like going like, oh my Lord, I, you know, it's like, did I really do that? And yes, I did. And I was walking up and down the aisles, pretending like I had beer steins in my hands. And then I was on stage on, at 12 in front of thousands of people. And I went flat. I didn't do a good job because I couldn't sing with a live band. But, you know, that it's like, but 
there was also the form of all these people who rejected me and bullied me because I was so different from them that in some ways that was actually a gift for them to bully me because it gave me the freedom because I didn't need to belong. I didn't need to be like them. So if you don't have the fear of rejection, because you know they're going to reject you anyway, then you literally get to carve out and forge out your own path. Yeah, you didn't belong to begin with, so you had you have no fear of not belonging. It's uh, and I think exactly as you're saying, Barbie, the you know people that experience uh, fear of abandonment and these things have an innate um, independence and idea of freedom, so they they forge their own way anyway. So I think that there's certainly and that's a good way to look at the gifts that you may have gotten from those kind of traumatic experiences Barbie so that's absolutely Um, and we'll actually come back to the joy of fear in a little bit Uh, it's one of the points I want to touch on but um, so let's let's tackle the big one Uh, the fear of dying or the fear of death to me I, I don't have fear of death I don't have fear of what's on the other side you know, whether it's nothing or uh, reincarnation or paradise or hell or whatever it may be, because I have my clearly uh, formed idea of what is beyond this physical existence. What most people fear is actually the process of dying. It's not so much the actual transition from life to death. It's the dying. It's the pain. It's the suffering. It's all the you know seeing the the trauma of having people around you that are suffering etc cetera, etc cetera. what do you guys feel about that i, just, I think I say, go ahead brenda oh um i don't so much have a, a fear of like the process of dying or what's on the other side of dying for me it's more about am i accomplishing everything that I want to accomplish in this life and making the impact that I want to make that that's the biggest thing for me um the other thing for me is my stuff like you know what what happens to your stuff and making sure you don't have too much stuff for other people to have to deal with when you're gone (laughs) (laughs) I think most people fear not having enough to leave behind <laughs> so that that's the first time i've had that one Brenda. i appreciate it thank you <laughs> welcome what were you going to say carol uh i i was going to say a couple of things thank you christopher so first first thing um i think it was Tolstoy who said that like you know if you're leading like kind of crappy life then you're gonna have crappy death but if you can try to make your life beautiful then you're gonna have you know you're gonna die beautifully and you know the death to me is like such a abstract um concept that you know i'm scared of it like i'm not gonna and i don't know what is there i just don't know and i cannot physically i kind of comprehend um so more rather than dying i am you know i'm kind of uh, scared of like suffering if that makes sense but on the other hand what i'm trying to do to kind of manage that fear it's uh i do a lot of stoic meditation so you know a few times a day i just have a very brief and a very short visualization in which i feel you know that something worse is happening to me like you know my dog is dying or you know my wife or like i'm dying of cancer or whatever it's just like you know 40 seconds very brief 
negative stoic visualization as kind of recommended by Marcus, Marcus Aurelius. And then, I don't know, and then it just, it just rewires me and then I appreciate everything. I, I can appreciate rain, I can appreciate the clouds and, and it just gets that, you know, removes that fear. Yeah. And you know, it's it's not the, it's not like static. It's not something that I, you know, is being maintained. And the, it, it, it doesn't. I'm not. I'm not saying that it's. You know, I'm completely removing fear from my life. Mm -hmm. It's just like management of it. I know yeah. that when it comes, I can deal with it. I've got tools to deal with it. So yeah. Anybody else have any uh, input on uh, the existential fear? So. I, I'd like to say something about that because it's definitely a part of my journey has been the fact that in 2016, I, I got diagnosed with a chronic illness that felt like a death sentence. Right. And I've been all around the world and I've lived on three continents and I've done all this amazing stuff. And then, you, you know, built into the illness is fatigue and you're pretty much going to work and having to go home. And then I had to cancel a lot of my plans. I couldn't do the travel that I wanted to do. It just really felt like a death sentence. But I really, at that moment, I started to focus instead on the things that I could control. And I realized that if I didn't know how long I was gonna live at that time, cause it was really bad, I was just gonna basically spend my money as if I, as if it were my last days. And I started having this really different approach about abundance and a feeling just very rich and, and, and full of whatever I wanted because ultimately this was something that I had put out there and I was going to use it for myself, like what Brenda was talking about with your stuff. It's like, I might yeah. as well use my stuff. So it really started to focus my kind of ideology about really becoming the VIP in your own life because I realized that we do all this stuff where we're focused completely on when company comes over and we'll save the good China for when we have guests and other things like that. And it's like, who lives in your house? You do. So instead, it's like really, really focusing on then you can look at your blessings and you can look at the things that you're grateful for. But it really has, I mean, I had to take a good hard look at that and see, you know, I don't know how much longer I have to live at this moment. And it totally shifted every single way that I did everything in my life. And that, that's a hero's story of uh, trauma, isn't it? I always say in my coaching uh, practice that you, you have two choices out of every experience. You can choose to become a victim or a hero. You can either wallow and kind of delve into the misery of it, or you can take the gifts and the uh, uh, the gratitude of the the lessons from it. Yes. So that that's wonderful, Barbie. Congratulations, really. And uh, you know, it's it's um, that idea of living like it's your last day, but expecting to live forever. Yes. Yes, you know? that's a conundrum absolutely and that's the paradox isn't it and it's trying to figure out how do i balance that paradox within myself because it comes down to being the emotional you know if you know you're going to die tomorrow that could in, in essence create a, a lot of fear but at the same time taking away the fear and living with the just freedom of knowing that you're, you're going to do everything that you can to maximize today but also in your mind knowing that I'm going to live, you know, 400 and, you know, 700 years or whatever. <laughs> I think it's, uh, 
Peter Diamandis, who's uh, said he's going to live until he's like 600 years old, old or something. If anybody listens to the uh, Exponential Wisdom podcast, it's very interesting. Some very innovative ideas on longevity there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I think that's a really good, uh, good angle there, Barbie. And uh, Ch- uh, Sherry? Yes, um, I'm a bit older than most of you, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Um, about in 2013, I, I was suffering from vasculitis that they said was going to kill me in a couple of years because I was bleeding into all of my, um, my, my critical organs. And I also had a cancer and the doctor said they didn't want me. I was, I had paid for a trip to South America to go and see a, um, a, a number of shaman we were going to do ayahuasca mm-hmm. and uh ayahuasca is not a party drug uh, as some of you may know it was an absolutely horrible experience but as i as, as i went into this with my power animals and i said the only reason i was going is because i knew i was dying mm-hmm. and i wanted to die in peace so I went in into this with the attitude of we have to find, you know, to, to find this deep peace. And I said, it was, it was a horrible, it really was a horrible experience. I'm sure, and I yeah. got to the point where I'm laying there. I can't move. Um, it, it was, I'm, I'm going, okay. If I'm going to die right now, it's all right. And when I, at one point they came in and they said, you've got to start drinking more water because your kidneys are shutting down. And I'm going, uh, I, I wasn't worried about drinking water. I, I was actually, the water I had always pouring on me because it was so hot, but I started to drink the water. And all of a sudden I'm going, okay, I don't need more water. I got to go potty. And I went outside and I just, I just, just started purging. I mean, I, I walked out and I'm, I'm 25 feet up in the air and I'm throwing up all over the ground. And I looked at, at, at my, my teacher and I said, you know what? Fuck this. And I said, you know what? Fuck everything. And he just smiled at me. And I, I, I remember feeling, okay, if I die right now, it's okay, which was kind of a selfish thought because my friends was going to have to carry my rather large body out of the jungle. <laughs> but it stopped. I mean, I, I'm 69 years old. The women in my family never make it past 70. And... I may or may not make it past 70. I don't really, it, it, it's irrelevant. It's like, I realize that I, I have no idea what's on the other side. I really don't care, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to, God, you can see I, I'm technically not put together because I can't get this stuff right. All right. But I, I'm, I, I just, 
So do you yeah. think it's the point of no return that alleviates your fear? No, having you know, knowledge and not being uh, kind of faced with the unknown, you, you kind of know. I, you know, I'd never really thought about it before. I, and and, and as, as when you get to, like I say, as you get older, um, there's an awful lot of, I mean, your, your mortality becomes much more real. Sure. I mean, and, and I did, it, it was kind of bizarre because I was in Iquitos, Peru, and um, they did, t they told us, you know, don't go, don't, it, the women were always supposed to go out in pairs, and uh, you know, definitely don't go out alone at night, which I had enough sense not to do that, but I didn't, really didn't think twice about wandering around a place in the long run. Right. You know, my Spanish really sucks. I won't starve to death and I can, I, I can always find a bathroom. But uh, I, it was, I've always had the, um, the ability to make life as much of a game and adventure as possible. And um, I come from a very poor background. And, uh, you know, I haven't had the uh, the chances to do a lot of bizarre uh, adventures because the money has just never been there, and uh, I think that uh, I, I was thinking about one thing that that was was said earlier about uh, fear of re fear of greatness, mm -hmm. and uh, when you come from a background like mine. You don't want to um, allow your gifts to come out too much because, you know, basically I'm poor. I always said I was white trash with a brain. And you really get rejected from that space. Mm -hmm. You know, like, who do you think you are? You're using big words. Or, yeah. uh, and, and I find yeah. when, I, when I heard that, I'm going, oh my God, you've done that all your life. And it's that shunning from the uh, tribe or the community. Yeah. And and, uh, and you don't belong there to begin with, so why give a shit? Yeah, no, and it's uh, that kind of uh, very well segues into the uh, notion of fears, you know, where we we basically const I would say ninety nine point nine nine percent of the fears that we have are constructed. They're notional fears; uh, they don't yes. actually exist. You know, we, it's programming. It's all, you know, from our parents, schools, religion, society, news, social media, whatever it is. And it's those fears predominantly because, I mean, I, I went through a period where I had this fear of snakes for some reason. And I think it was, uh, you know, for anybody who knows about spirit animals or power animals, know that snake is... Uh, kind of comes when uh, you're going through a energy purging or healing period. Um, so uh, I think it was that because I constantly got images of snakes in my head. And I've, I think I've only seen a snake in the wild once in my life. And it was like a black adder that, you know, it's not going to kill you anyway, unless you're uh, sensitive to it. But no, this, <laughs> I was thinking about black mambas and, uh, you know, king cobras and what have you. And I've never been to Africa like that. So it, it wasn't really 
something that I had to worry about. Yet it was every time I thought about it, it sent shivers down my, my spine kind of thing. It's those kind of notional fears that, or unrealistic fears that we bring into ourselves. Now, you know, losing your job and not having enough money to eat and all of that, is that a real or a notional fear? What is to fear beyond that? Is, is it that we fear the unknown? Is it that we fear losing our comfort that is seen as part of that death? Personally, I think there is also, you can, part of the notional death is the death of identity. So you lose your identity and then you're like, you don't know who you are anymore. And that's, that's the fear of dying as well. And that's anyone who's experienced rock bottom and kind of come out of it with not knowing what's ahead of them that kind of helps to alleviate any fears that one might have had because you, you had no choice. You, you're now on the other side. It's kind of a near-death experience. So anybody want to yeah, chime in on that? Barbie, go ahead. Uh, ironically, um, Brenda and I were just talking about this yesterday with travels because she'd asked me if I'd been to Africa and she's been to South Africa. And uh, I was in Morocco at the Cosba and uh, they had asp snakes and boxes and they asked for a volunteer to see who would be willing to put it around their neck. And I'm like, oh yeah, no problem. And so I was there, you know, with the asp around my neck. And I actually do have an African ball python. It's actually a, a foot to the right of me right now. So I, I literally um, had somebody gift me a python because their mom didn't like it. <laughs> and then it literally like, it became my buddy. And I have pictures of it that it would actually crawl into my French braid and hang out. And I would literally have it at work. And it was like in my hair for like eight hours. It was just sitting there chilling, like, you know, but it's also <laughs> the, the whole thing that, you know, going back to the ancient Egypt, that in ancient Egypt, they actually used to have the cobras on their heads as basically a way to be able to ward off, you know, evil. Mm -hmm. And in African cultures, they actually have the, um, the, the, the chiefs actually have a ball python on each wrist, each ankle and around their neck to show how like strong and, and how fearless they are, et cetera. So it's just, it is an interesting thing that for some people, the phobias are really what those things that end up coming up because they are technically irrational, but even in like psychology, they have those things of where there was one lady, she was allergic to strawberries. And every time she saw strawberries, she always had this fear. She got vertigo, it was really bad. And then she just didn't have anything that was strawberries around her. And then she moved into an apartment and they were like, what is going on? Why is she having the vertigo? And they realized that the Formica counter in her kitchen had little strawberries <laughs> in actual like kitchen that she was so freaked out by strawberries that her subconscious literally flipped her back into the vertigo. So yeah. it's just those things of where you're absolutely right. It's like they're, it's that the acronym of fear, false evidence appearing real that a lot of times you think it's actually something that you're afraid of, but ultimately it also pushes you. And that's that hero's journey with Joseph Campbell. That's much about the, you know, the wounded healer that based the hero's journey with Joseph Campbell talks about that of where there has to be a transformative type of a thing. And ultimately everyone who's on this call right now, those of us who've had things that have happened to us, that's what we have to be able to have as our impetus to be able to push us forward to grow. But the people whose lives are just like going along and everything's just fine, they don't have a reason to grow. They don't have a mm -hmm. reason to figure anything out because everything's just fine. No, absolutely. And some people actually argue the, the only way to feel really alive and be present is to feel fear. If you end up in a situation where you are in a fight, flight or freeze 
moment where you know you're facing a lion or lion or a cheetah or tiger or something or a snake in this case you you get so focused on the present moment that you feel more alive than you have ever felt before and uh a lot of times uh, soldiers that end up in uh, in combat will attest to that as well. And uh, there is that addiction to fear that you see race drivers, for example, or people that have very dangerous sports like race car driving or base jumping or, you know, any of these things. And, you know, military is one of, thing, uh, one of those things as well. But you also have like ER doctors that kind of fear of life and death in the balance, all of those things, there's a certain addictive uh, element to that. You can, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, adrenaline addiction. But I wanted to talk a little bit about also the, you know, these notional fears. What, what is the, in order to break through those fears and come out the other end, other end and kind of master the fears, what, what are the antidotes or uh, not the antidote, but what what is the uh, the way that we can overcome our fears as a general uh, kind of remedy? Can I make a comment? I my first Please existential do, threat. Hi there, Christopher. Hi. Uh, my first existential threat happened when I was very little, and I've had them more than once. One of them in that moment of clarity when something I I was flying an airplane. I'm a pilot, and something happened that um, it was interesting. My focus became 100% on solve the problem. And it felt like hours went by while I was doing it. It had to be happening in split second or we would have crashed. But, you know, that's, that's another point. But to address your question, um, I think that part of how you conquer fears is you have to tell your conscious, I mean, keep in mind, your conscious mind is out there trying to keep you safe. That's its job. And so you have to just say, shut up. I got it. Now, how am I going to solve this problem? <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think even when I was very little and something happened that had me think, I'm dead. Um, and my emotions I mean I'm a little tiny like three four year old crying my heart out because I just think you know all is lost mm -hmm. uh, somewhere in the back of my head there was a resilient part and resilience I think is a really important thing that said okay who do I know who could solve this problem mighty mouse I don't know if any of you are old enough to even know who Mighty Mouse is. He is a cartoon figure. He's this happy little yes. guy with a big smile on his face, but he's able to beat up the strongest cat in the block. And I mean, I'm a kid, you know, I've <laughs> got to work with references. Yeah, absolutely. And so I decided, okay, I could be Mighty Mouse. I could save my day. And uh, whether it's Mighty Mouse or, um, you know, like, just shut up brain let's deal with what we know about how to solve this problem in an airplane as seconds split seconds mattered um i think learning how to be aware and conscious which is what we're all doing here in mind valley and um learning how to manage your mind mm -hmm. 
and focus on what's important now is really a lot of the secret to managing fear, at least for me. I mean, I have to allow myself to be afraid because I am afraid. And it's like, okay, great. You've had your day. Now let's deal. Well, it's again, that feeling the fear, but not attaching yourself to it. Uh-huh. Right. Can I one thing to that too? Sure, First Barbara. of all, of course, Diana, here I come to save the day. It's absolutely. And that is so cool to be able to do that. And I think also too, like you just reminded me in the sense of where my dad was a firefighter and he, you know, jumped out of helicopters for water drops. And as you were talking all that adrenaline junkie and my brother does the extreme, you know, biking where he goes down Haleakala in Hawaii and at like 90 miles an hour, just the kind of stuff where, you know, that that's not my jam. But I've also been in situations where I've had three opportunities in my life where I've saved people's lives and one person had a seizure. And it's like, what I've found is that the brain almost, when you see something that's like an emergency like that, there are certain people that are really great to be around when there's an emergency because they don't go into that panic mode, like the, you know, the captured deer. But like, for me, all of a sudden it's like a whole entire, it's like the matrix, like something opens up and just goes, and the next thing you know, I'm just completely calm, able to handle the situation. And there was a 90 year old man who literally tripped at the stairs at the LAX um, or the federal building when I was getting my passport in LA and nobody saw him fall. There's 300 people there. And I, I literally asked my friend to bring like napkins from the Korean restaurant we were at. And we had all these napkins because he was bleeding from the back of his head. And I was talking to him like, what is your name? What is, what, you know, how are you doing, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and all of a sudden people started looking around like, oh my God, something's happening. But it's still, it's like in those opportunities, we really have that opportunity to say, I don't care whether I have fear. I was wearing a nice dress. I had blood all over my hands, et cetera. But it was like, that was so important in that moment to be able to just be so completely laser present but it's almost like you're in an altered state at that moment and it's it's kind of the coolest thing and and if anyone else has had that experience it's just so awesome and amazing to be able to really be completely present and in a service to another human being who is in a complete 100 percent crisis absolutely nicole i'm gonna go to you in a second i'm just gonna kind of go back to what i said uh, last time we uh, we all got together it's the idea of the best in people come out uh, when, when there's a crisis, the best come out in people. And I, I've heard and I agree with the fact that it's not the best that comes out. Everybody sinks down to the lowest level of preparation or preparedness. So if you've dealt with fear internally and your approach to it, you're going to be much more clear and succinct in your ability to address that fear and the situation at hand. So Nicole, I'll go to you. Yeah, so you're asking how would one kind of master fear? And I think that what's clear from these examples we've just heard is that when one's confronted with the fear, oftentimes in a life or death situation, you have no choice and then you and you conquer it. And then as Barbie was just saying, you feel so good after it. And so so if you were to take those big event, if you will, and then sort of say, how can I bring it back into my daily practice to really master it? Because that was just a test right there, but sort of like then how do you prepare for this next test or how do you mm-hmm. conquer it? I would say it is like to then the feeling that confidence that Barbara was just talking about really gives you the sense of I can do it again. And then to, to put yourself with little events that might do it. Like for example, when I was 12, 
uh, before they had a lot of security in a um, in in the in the in the amusement parks, I was doing a double loop uh, roller coaster for the first time. I was on a class field trip and my seatbelt didn't work or the bar. And I raised my hand to say, hey, my, my safety equipment's not working, but no one saw me and the thing started going. So I was essentially doing the double loop where it stops midway, halfway uh, for one second and then it goes backwards, but without any uh, restraints in place. And so obviously then my whole body was full, falling out and I was so scared and I felt everything falling out. So I just pushed against the seat so hard. Um, anyway, I survived it. Uh, my back was black and blue. And for like six, I was just like completely shaking after that ride because, you know, twice my body was just like, that would have fallen off. I didn't push myself back in. Oh yeah. Um, but so that, well, luckily I had that moment of it, but, but so then in terms of now I have, I have a huge fair of roller coasters, et cetera, but I think that somehow I've been able to like push through it and sort of then test yourself a little bit in safer conditions, which once one's fearful of, but they just each time in terms of um, feeling the confidence that you did it is, is a remarkable way to like master it. Uh, and, and, and now as a parent, for example, when I, if I, with my kids, let's say if they were learning a new language or something, I put them in that environment and say, go ask for bread or something little, little things. And I think mm -hmm. it's in this building up, conquering little things that one gets confidence to feel that they can approach fear in a positive way. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you on that. And I, I do the same thing with my children. Everybody needs to be exposed little by little to, to that fear. I will say though that you always have a choice. So when you when you show up to that situation where you have a choice of fight, flight, or freeze, you have that choice. You have you can choose one of those three. Clearly, Barbie in that situation with the man who fell down the stairs chose to uh, fight, as it were, you know, to show up. But some people might choose to freeze because that's their lower lowest level of preparedness they're simply not prepared to deal with that kind of situation. Uh, some others flee because, again, they just do not know how to show up to that situation. It was a leading question, you know, what was the way to overcome fears? You can't control your fears, but you can control your thoughts. And fears, in my experience, fears come from uh, experiences or programming that we've had throughout our lives so in my again in my coaching practice i ask all my clients to look at the fears that come out of stressful situations and try to find the first uh, situation where they can remember having experienced that fear so the original sensitizing event and look at that situation and see is this a realistic fear is this a fear i really need to embody so it comes down to reframing the fear by using your thoughts and reframing your thoughts around that fear. So again, more like last time we talked about control. So you can control your words, your thoughts, and your actions. So you can't control your emotions, you can control your thoughts that produce those emotions, right? That would be my solution to it. Anyway. Christopher? Yeah. Um, I wanted to, um, yeah, the, in the, echoing what Bobby was talking about in the crisis time and, 
and uh, with uh, the very generous um, um, testimony from Cherry. Um, there, there is something that uh, once in my life, about uh, 20 years ago, um, I went, I came very close to die and I really had to fight for my life. And at that moment, um, a certainty, something bigger than me opened and I knew that I was not going to die, even though the most likely scenario was for me to die. So that was, um, I was, I was uh, training for my scuba diving and I was in a year exchange program uh, with the Fiji Islands. And so we were in the open ocean. It was only the second time for me. And um, so I jumped in the water and I have all my gears, including the uh, silver, uh, not the silver, what's the name of that little in English, that you have, to, the, the belt that you have around your uh, the white waist. Belt. The weight belt. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, instructor says, okay, um, yeah, the first uh, jump in the water and we're going to chain you in the water. So I jumped first. And what happened is that nobody had predicted it, but a micro uh, earthquake happened uh, on the ocean floor, not far from where we were. And very suddenly, uh, super high waves started started and i was in the water and the other people were not the other students were not yet and i got washed away from the boat very very briskly and the the current the strength of the ocean was so so overwhelming and so strong and very quickly the boat became, I was, I was taken away from the boat. And at that time I thought to myself, okay, you have to fight for your life now. And even though it seemed impossible to reach the boat, uh, I was against the waves. The waves were like sort of messy. Um, I came close to the boat three times, even being able to grab it at one, at one point but washed away before uh, the other people in the boat could, could, could grab me. And I was getting exhausted. Um, and that's when I say, I, some, some sort of space inside me opened and I knew I was not going to die. And um, I was not going to drown. And I went for the fourth, my fourth tentative. And then I, I was just maybe two seconds before the next wave would take me. And I knew that it would be my last, my last attempts because I was so exhausted of trying to swim back to the smoke, to the boat. And those two seconds were sufficient for my uh, the people in the boat to take me and lift me up. And they were so on adrenaline themselves that with my bottle, the weight belt, being, being soaked, the wetsuit, et cetera, they, they literally pulled me out the water like this. And, uh, and <laughs> at that moment, I remember I said, when it's not your time, it's not your time. You can die in much more um, simple way, whereas in something a bit extreme like that, and then you, you survive. Um, yeah, that, that, that gave me some sort of faith that I still had some stuff to go to, to I have some more life to live. 
and uh, that was a very turning point for me in my life. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a key aspect. We don't control it. We don't know when. Yeah. We don't know how. We don't control it. So again, going back to the last discussion about control, if we can't control it, why worry about it? Why fear it? We know it's going to happen at some point. So why, you know, you, you can put it to the side that, okay, well, <laughs> it will happen when it happens. So yeah, I think that's a very good point. And just that innate knowing that it's, it's not going to happen or when it does happen that you're okay with it. The releasing, and it's, again, it's the thoughts that you apply to, to it and you apply towards it, I think are, are very strong uh, keys to that. And I was wondering if uh, sure. it's only me or if it has come to other people in the group uh, awareness, but uh, going back to Cherry um, testimony that really touched me um, when she talked about going um, with ayahuasca with uh, her spirit animals and um, that resonates in the sense that uh, it has um, some sort of like being aggregated together in the last few months that um, there are various techniques that seems to get more and more attention, such as lucid dreaming, out-of-body experience, um, transcendental travels, mm -hmm. that seem to have the same baseline of as a, as a side effect to not to release the fear of death yeah. somehow. So I, I'm, I'm start, just starting to like, explore but it seems to some sort of like it's come to more global awareness, I suppose, because I, I'm not such, um, you know, I'm not into that field at all, but it's still like reached me. And um, so there is like some sort of like a momentum, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe. no, absolutely. And I, I, I know where you're going with it and I appreciate the, uh, the, the help on the segue. So <laughs> it's the, uh, I mean, to me, really ending up in a situation where you, you kind of, uh, you raise the whiteboard, if you like, or you, you take all the programming, all the fears that you've, you've been told that you must have in your life that sits on this whiteboard and you just take a big uh, sponge to it and you wipe it clean. Uh, you know, sorry, go, yeah, go ahead, Barbie. The tabula rasa, that's the most important thing because ultimately it's like, you know, even learning all these type of things, et cetera, it's like with everyone now has this like perspective that, oh, well, you need to do social media and you need to post this and you need to do this and you need to do that and this is how your journey is going to go, whatever, et cetera. My particular situation is completely not that. So therefore, as you were talking about Christopher being, you know, like afraid of public speaking, but here you are doing a podcast, you know, and it's like for me, I, I don't really like being on video and I'm doing a TV show. So it's kind of yeah. like basically the same exact thing of where, you know, you literally step out of your comfort zone because the mission is bigger than you. And that's the part of it too, of like you co-create that. And Meli, I do, I am planning in December to doing um, a, a soul travel workshop with our, our group because I definitely, that's something that I've, I've been practicing for the last 20, 30 years. And when you have the opportunity to have all these like multidimensional pieces, it's also interesting because a lot of the things that you appear or believe to be real in a lot of ways really are not. No, absolutely. And it's the, 
allowing your subconscious to understand that those things are not important and you just need to get rid of them. And I, I think uh, it's interesting now with all the trials they're doing on the psilocybin, for, for example, magic mushrooms, uh, more commonly known. But I heard someone talk about psilocybin having the effect of that as you uh, kind of go through life, you create these grooves in your mind. It's like a uh, ski slope. And you, you just keep going down the same grooves, whether that being fears or programming or uh, bullshit rules, rules that we're talking about. They all kind of create their own grooves and you, you just keep going down those same grooves over and over and over again. They become kind of on repeat in your consciousness, fed from your subconsciousness. And psilocybin or ayahuasca or any of these psychedelics then has the ability to essentially create new snow that falls down on this ski slope and basically wipes the slate clean and allows you to see that there is nothing to be afraid of. And it's the same effect that happens when uh, a lot of people that um, describe near-death experiences or once you hit rock bottom, all that fear, you've experienced all the fear that you can in one go, there is no more fear to be had. You go into life and it's like, there's only opportunities now. It's like a blank slate and you can really, you're in a, in a situation where you're now allowing yourself to really be the creator of your own experiences. Yeah, go, Carol. So uh, thank you very much, Christopher. So when you were saying about those grooves, and uh, I think this is an excellent book, I would strongly recommend it to everyone. It's by David Eagleman. It's called Life Wired. And he talks about um, basically uh, brain and how how it works and how we are conditioned and um, it's absolutely fascinating fascinating uh, book that explains the way we experience emotions the way we experience reality and one of the I think the moments um, that enabled me to change kind of the perception it's not only written in that book but in like you know in, in several different uh, authors and you know it's known in, the, in philosophy for quite some time is the fact that we don't see reality and the world as it is we construct reality so your brain doesn't have receptors it just sits it's you know in that very dark place in the site of your school and it uses eyes to and ears and your sensory input to create reality mm -hmm. but you know, it's nothing more than just kind of the zoop of electrical signals that are going through your brain, really. So, and you add meaning and attach an attachment to everything. And, you know, whether any conditions that you have, whether, you know, it makes your life for good or wrong, this becomes real. And yeah, and I, I've, I've never had any kind of psychedelic experience, but... um you know, I've, I've been trying to meditate quite a lot and it's, it changes your perspective and you can see, and you know, the concept that Barbie was talking about, the tabula rasa, you can see the, you know, things from distance and you can, you know, it makes you realize that, oh God, I believe that for like 30 years and it's actually, it's nonsense. Yeah. It's nonsense. Like I, I had so many conversations in the last few weeks that 
you know, people are saying like, you could, you shouldn't use that word or you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't do that or you, you know, you can't say that. I'm like, why? I said, it's kind. Is it true? You know, is it um, necessary to say? And if yes. Is it helpful? Yeah. And if it's yes, I'm going to say that. Yeah. And, you know, I believe that sometimes the conflict is the only one way to kind of enable people to grow and you can't really, you know, and, and so, you can't always avoid conflict or you cannot always ar avoid argument because you wouldn't be able, you wouldn't be given the opportunity and platform to expand yourself and your, broaden your horizons. As long as but you always, you it, always add the word compassion in front of it. Yeah, absolutely. Compassionate argument. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is the place that, you know, I, I, I feel that if you want to defeat your fear, if you can defeat your fear or yeah it's just the love and kindness and compassion is the you know is the starting point and if you start is if this is your starting point you're sorted yeah no absolutely and i think the a lot of times it's the fear of letting go of what we've known so in terms of the the programming and the rules we are fearful of letting go of the the place of comfort even if it, we know it's something that is detrimental to our happiness and our well-being we are afraid to let it go i mean smoking habit is typical one like that i smoked for you know way too long and it's the imagine or imagining myself at that point without not being a non-smoker was inconceivable to me because i knew i would have to go through the pain of withdrawal and quitting and all of that in order to get there and so it was much easier to stay a smoker, even though I know I knew it was going to kill me eventually. So it's the fear of the dying, if you like. If smoking is my identity, it's the fear of dying or the process of dying in that identity. And the fear of not knowing, is it actually going to be better once I'm through there on the other side? Is this pain I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life? So the... There's a lot of different perspectives to the fear, and this is just a, a microcosm of it, but it's the fear of the unknown is one of the very big ones, as you touch on there, uh, Carol. So it's, um, if, uh, before we kind of uh, wrap up here, is there any other aspects of the uh, fear that you guys want to touch on? Anything you feel that I've uh, missed? I just want to add something about courageous conversations because I think a lot of that is a lot of fear too. Yeah. And I know Keith Ferrazzi talks a lot about that in regards to authentic networking, et cetera, et cetera. And just this week I've had to have in, in business dealings, I've had to have two very intense courageous conversations of where you really have to say exactly what it is that you need as the objective by dropping your agenda, but really speaking truth to power and knowing that both of those things, when you're aligned, when you're aligned with it, energetically the frequency is pure and it oftentimes is conveyed etc and i feel a lot of times people have more respect for for you for being able to convey that and so i think a lot of people based on fear don't say what they need to say so a lot of people run around literally with all these unspoken words that they need to get out of themselves but ultimately it's the fear of like you know somebody not liking them or whatever else etc so i think that those courageous conversations, I think, of just, you know, I'm not willing to have anything less anymore in anywhere in my life. 
Absolutely. I think that's uh, very much key to the process. So again, before we wrap up, I think the, the way that you think about fear and the way you think about how you want to create your life is key to letting go of fear because it's the fear of stepping into the unknown is that oftentimes what holds you back. So, you know, fear is what stands between you, you and, and greatness, knowing that the greatness is the better place to be. So that's where we want to step in. So I want to thank you everybody for who's contributed, who uh, listened in and just brought your beautiful energies to this uh, podcast today, talking about fear and uh, some truly powerful stories there don't you agree if you think about it if we're unconscious about our own existence in the world or our own presence fear is omnipresent and really takes over and controls our lives so every time you get triggered or stressed for any reason always know that there is an element of fear underlying to that trigger or stress the beauty, of course, is that once you identify that fear, then you are also having your first clue to where that fear comes from and how you can go about healing it. Because you go back to the original sensitizing event of that fear, where you experienced that fear the first time, and then you can approach that experience with compassion, acceptance, uh, forgiveness, and gratitude. So if you experience fear in your life, See it as a gift, see it as a... because it is a clue to your healing journey. Now fear is something that is predominant and omnipresent in your life and you feel overwhelmed by it, uh, by all means get in contact with us to uh, see if our coaching program might be uh, able to help you in your, on your journey. As always, if you go to thealchemyexperience.co.uk, you will have access to all our recorded guided meditations, our writings, and of course, information about our coaching practices, both for businesses and individuals. I thank you, and I am grateful for you listening to this podcast, and uh, hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed being part of uh, making it and uh, being part of the discussion. So until next time, I uh, wish you all the best, and take care.